start of the series a couple weeks ago called What to Expect in 2023. And uh, I'll, I'll preface it again by saying these are not, this is not uh, a prophecy or anything like that about what's coming. It's just as someone that, that prays for you, prays for this church, prays for our nation, some things that I've seen over several years and probably we've all seen these things. So it's not really uh, news in that sense, because if you've been paying attention at all, then you've seen these things uh, coming. But here's what I'm expecting in 2023, some things that I'm expecting to continue. We're in week two of this. Week one, we talked about uh, the first thing that I'm expecting to continue to see is an increase in deception, an increase in deception in the world, primarily on topics and issues that are very simple, very issue that you, that you don't even have to be a Christian to see and understand. Um, issues such as gender, sexuality, marriage, those kinds of things that should be easy to understand. Uh, I, I expect to, consent, to continue to see more deception in those areas. And if Jesus doesn't return or if we don't see revival in this nation, at some point there's going to be a generation that ushers in the Antichrist. And that will, be a, that will be a generation that is very deceived. Jesus talked about this as being one of the number one things to expect in the end times was more deception. And he warned Christians about it over and over again. He said, he said it's going to be a very confusing time, a very, very deceiving time. I, for one, believe that Jesus knew what he was talking about. And so I, I prepare myself for that. So that was last week. Not going to redo that sermon again. This week, we're going to get into another thing that I'm expecting to continue. But before I tell you what that is, I want to, I want to remind you uh, from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, I want to remind you that our battle is not with other human beings. This is so important to remember. Because if you get, caught up, if you get all caught up in the culture war, you know, and, and mad at people, because they believe this way or they vote this way or how could you be so stupid to think that? Listen, as a church, we're not battling other humans. We're battling, the Bible says, a spiritual battle. And, and any mindset that is contrary to the word of God comes from Satan. It comes from the deceiver. And they've accepted and, and believed that lie. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 tells the church, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, what if you don't put on the whole armor of God? What if you don't know anything about the armor of God? What if you never even heard there was such a thing as the armor of God? Well, you're not going to be ready to stand against the schemes of the devil. The Bible says that the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That tells me he can't devour everyone. He has to seek out those that he can devour, those that are weak, those that don't know the truth, those that don't have on the armor of God. But this is the key part, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Notice we do wrestle, it's just not against flesh and blood. So we are fighting a battle, but we're not fighting other human beings. It's, it's the wrong direction for you as a Christian to be mad at a certain group of people because of the way they think or the way they act. Actually, what we should have for them is love, compassion, prayer, that their eyes would be open to see the truth. And, and as Paul said, except for Christ, I'd be going that same direction. So you don't know what you know because you're good or because anything special about you. You know what you know and you understand what you understand because of the grace of God. 
And so we ought to give glory to God for that and not be mad at other humans. No, humans, other human beings come into the knowledge of the truth. That's our whole mission. And so it doesn't do us any good to get mad at other human beings. So our, our battle's not with other human beings. We are fighting. Don't mistake that. We are fighting. We are wrestling, but it's not against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a lot of people walking around that don't even have any idea that there is such a thing as a spiritual realm. And there's a lot of Christians that live every day as if there's not even a spiritual realm. They just think, they just act like everything's natural, everything that happens is natural. Well, the, this scripture tells us very clearly that no, in fact, in the spiritual realm, there are rulers. That means they have authority. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, sound like Star Wars. Over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is what we are battling, and that is what we are fighting against. Now, that doesn't mean that all the work we do is in the prayer closet. The prayer closet is extremely important in this fight. Uh, you know, having, having that time of prayer and fighting these things in prayer, yeah, that's very important. But a lot of what we do is in the natural. It's just that we're not doing it against humans. we got to understand who our real enemy is. Amen? Okay. So the other thing that I'm expecting in 2023, and we're going to go through several of these each week, is I'm expecting that marriage and the traditional family will continue to be under attack. I think that Satan is very smart, and I think that he hates God's purposes and God's strategy, and I think that he's very systematic and targeted in what he does and I think he knows and understands how to destroy a nation and one of the things that I expect to continue is an attack on marriage and traditional family I think we're going to see that continue that's not going anywhere not just on the issue of gay marriage and things like that but on multiple fronts multiple fronts where even getting a whole generation to believe, well, I don't even know, I don't even see what the point of marriage is. Why can't we just live together? Why, why do we have to sign a contract? Why do we have to make a covenant? Why can't we just live together? My parents got divorced. I don't want to get divorced. All the hassle they went through, why can't we just live together? I think that marriage, the, the sacredness, the, the fact that God has ordained it, the honor, the reverence that should be given to marriage, I think that we're losing that in certain generations. But look at what God said. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. This is in the very beginning. This is, this is before there's any government, before there's any law enforcement, before there's any officials, before there's any justice of the peace to put their stamp on it, God ordained this. Do, do, it's, it's important to understand that. In, marriage is not a governmental institution. Now, the government may oversee it, but you need to understand God created marriage. Therefore, God gets to decide what marriage is. He's the one that created it, and this is what he said. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one 
flesh. Then what happens? Then they bear children. They raise those children to be disciples that follow God and follow his law. Then they leave father and mother. They cleave to their spouse. The two become one. They have children. And do you see the process just continues? The the family is God's original method of discipleship. It's the whole purpose of it. It's the whole purpose of it is that, you know, in church, as the church, uh, one of our primary missions is to make disciples. But I'm going to tell you something. The church will never be as good at making disciples as the family. The family is the primary way of making true disciples for Jesus Christ. You know why? Because they live in. They live in with you. See, if, I make, if we make disciples here at the church, what ends up happening is we usually put them in a class once a week. We teach them, right? We show up on a Sunday. We teach for an hour. And that's, that's effective. But you know how Jesus made disciples? He had live-in disciples. He had 12 that lived with him for three years. And they ate together. They talked together. They argued together. Talking about the disciples. They prayed together. If they were, they were in close quarters and they saw everything. They saw every facial expression. They, saw, they heard every tone of voice. They saw it all. Listen, and that is how true discipleship, that is how true disciples are made. The family is the number one way that God imparts his truth from generation to generation. It is not the church. The primary mission of the church is to support the family. As a matter of fact, I learned this as a youth pastor a long time ago. I learned that we could only do so much for a teenager if their family structure was out of order. And in a lot of cases, we were fighting an uphill battle. We were fighting an uphill battle to try and disciple children and youth in the right direction if their family structure was completely out of order. It's very difficult to tell a child how to live holy and how to live right when they have no boundaries and no rules at home and their parents don't care what they do or how they sin. That's very difficult to overcome. No, I always, the, the most effective uh, times in ministry that we had in youth ministry was when the family had it right first and we were just there to supplement what was already being done in their lives. The family is that important. Let me tell you something. If you are a mother, if you are a father, you are first and foremost a disciple maker. And you're making disciples whether you know you are or not. You don't even have to be intentional about it. It's happening one way or another. You are forming them and shaping them to think a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way. You're preparing them for marriage. You're preparing them for Christianity. This is why Satan attacks the family and hates the family so much. When the family is right, the world all around you can be going nuts. And the family almost acts as like Noah's Ark. It acts as a method of preservation. When, when all the world is going nuts and they're hearing this at school and they're seeing this and they're seeing this on TV, to have good godly parents that sit them down and say, that's not right. This is what the Word of God says. This is how we ought to think. This is how we ought to live. Let me tell you something. That carries more weight than anything the world is doing. Satan knows that, which is why he pr- tries to bring division in homes, divorce, Schism between the kids and the parents, disrespect, all of that continues to be false. And now, for so long, the society knew that. The society knew that 
solid families is the foundation for any, any nation. And now even our government and, and those that are, are, are in authority and those that are in the media, those that have a lot of influence and have a very outspoken voice are, are minimizing the role of traditional marriage as God has set it up. But again, this is God's idea. Look at this in Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. God speaks this through the prophet Malachi. He says, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with your tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. This is the ultimate goal of every family is to produce godly offspring. This is God's design. This was his, this was his point in creating the family, what was he seeking? Godly offspring. Let's notice a few things about this passage. Number one, our relationship with our spouse will affect our relationship with God. This is, this is one that people miss a lot. Notice what he said. He said, you cover the Lord's altar with your tears, with weeping, groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor. Why? why? Why is your offering no longer accepted? Why, long, why are your prayers no longer heard? Why? Because the Lord was witness between the, you and the wife of your youth. Did you know that God was at your wedding ceremony? Did you know that God heard your vows that you made to one another? Listen, when you made your vows, you made them before God. You made your wedding vows. And by the way, you weren't just making your wedding vows to your spouse. You were making your wedding vows to God. I will love this person this way. You're, you're making that vow to God, especially as a believer. So he says, listen, I witnessed the covenant that you made with one another. How many know God doesn't take covenant lightly? We got the old covenant and the new covenant. They both are extremely significant, and he's upheld every dot Every, every T crossed, every I dotted. He's, he's upheld every part of his end of the covenant through a lot of stuff that he walked through with the children of Israel, with the church. He's upheld every part of his end of those covenants. He has a tremendous respect for covenant. And this is what he says. He says, I witnessed the covenant that you made between each other. I saw it. And, and, and I could, we could kind of re, rephrase it, paraphrase it this way. He said, don't come praying to me and talking to me and begging me to do stuff when you don't have this right. Don't come acting like you're going to get before me and you're going to pray and you're going to be all super spiritual and you're going you're to move mountains and you're going to do something great for the kingdom of God when this is out of order in your home. That's really the point of what he's saying. And now some people might say, well, that's old covenant. You know, that's Old Testament. Well, it gets repeated again in the New Testament, 1 Peter 3, 7 when he's talking to husbands about honoring their wives, and he says, so that your prayers be not hindered. In other words, when this isn't right, when this relationship isn't right, when the marriage and the family is out of order, when it's not right, he said, it's going to affect your relationship with me. 
So that's first thing. Notice this secondly. It says that in the marriage, when the two became one, it was almost like the three became one because he said, I added a portion of my spirit to the marriage. Notice what he said here. He said, did he not make them one, the two? Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? This is why he says what God has joined together, let no man rip apart. He said, because it's not just the two of you. He said, it's my spirit that was involved also. I said, he said, I put a measure of my spirit in your marriage. Listen, this is every marriage. This is every marriage that is, that is done before God, but between believers, a portion of the spirit of God was added to your marriage. That's the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So, Don't ever let the lies of the enemy come into your mind that this marriage can't be repaired. Don't ever let the lies of the enemy come into your mind that, well, maybe we should just part ways. He said, listen, God joins you together, and not only have the two become one, but there's a portion of God's spirit in this marriage as well. Now, I always feel the need to pause here and say, I understand there are a lot of people in here that dissolved one or maybe several of their marriages. That we, obviously, we have people in here that have been divorced. All I can tell you is you can't go back and unscramble eggs, okay? You, can, you can't go back and change that, and that's not why we're talking about this. We're not talking about this to go back and rehash the past and, and beat you over the head this morning. What we're talking about is from today forward. That's all we can do, right? That we can repent of the past, but we can't change the past. So this is not, if you're here, I know you, if you walk through divorce and you think, oh God, I did something. Well, maybe you did. We all, well, welcome to the club. We've all sinned. We've all made big mistakes that we had to repent for and get right. That's not the issue this morning. The issue is how do we from this day forward go forward in God's will and plan? That's what we want. Amen? Okay, so there's a measure of God's spirit in our marriage. And then look at this, number three, what was God seeking? What was the point of all of this? godly offspring. Can I just tell you this? Listen to me. Please hear, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, if you have children, if you brought children onto the surface of this planet, you have no greater purpose in life than to raise them and disciple them in the ways of God. If you are doing anything else in in this world, if you are accomplishing anything else, but you don't have that right, it's out of order. I'm shocked. I'm shocked at what people will sacrifice. I'm, I'm shocked at, at what people will do all while their children are on the wrong path. You've only got a few years with them. And, and all I can tell you is I would sacrifice anything I had to sacrifice if my children were not on the right path. I would do whatever I had to do to make sure that I was investing in them and that my marriage was producing godly offspring. Did you know that the most important things for your kid in this life is not to play baseball or to be on a sports team or to be in some club with with all of these accolades or, I said the most important thing, or to have the best education. Listen, if I have to choose between my child coming out and having the character of Almighty God or having a good education, that's an easy choice for me. If ever, and I'm not saying that they are, but if ever those two things are at odds, I got no problem. 
I got no problem. I won't, because you know why? Their soul, that part of them that I'm rescuing and saving is eternal. And when they leave this planet, their education ain't going to make a hill of beans. Or whether they played baseball or sports or was in this club or had these friends or was the most popular here or had all the right clothes, none of that's going to matter. And sometimes it would do us really good to imagine the day that we stand before God and give an account for all of that. Because it's going to sound really foolish. Some of us are going to sound really foolish trying to explain that. Trying to explain why our kids were off over here doing this. But yeah, but they, I wanted them to have the right education. And none of that's even going to matter at that point. Now, please understand, I'm not against education. I played sports all growing up, loved sports. But you do know there are times in a child's life where those things conflict. And you've got to make some really hard choices. And if, you, and if you don't understand what your primary purpose is, your primary person, purpose in this life, our primary purpose in this life is not making money, is not to be successful, is not to have the best job. And, and if, if you never were successful in business, if you, if you just had a mediocre income, but you produce children that love God, that love God and are living for God and impacting the kingdom of God, then you've done your job on this planet. And I don't care if the only, only thing you ever did on this planet was raise children that love God, you did your job. And there's so many other things that we get caught up in, and we miss God's original plan. Go back to the beginning. What did he say? Be fruitful and multiply. And then he began to expound on that. He said, for out of that need to come godly children. And one of the most, the, the, the most valuable gift that you can give your child is what we're talking about this morning. Because listen, if they leave your house and don't have that, they're going to have decades of misery. And where's, again, I'm not trying to be too hard this morning, but whose fault is that going to be? It's not theirs, they're kids. So if we don't get this right, they will have, many of them will have decades of misery trying to learn what they should have learned under our roof. But if you send a child out of your house that loves God, loves his word, has some semblance of a prayer life and reading the Bible and, and values first things first when it comes to the things of God, they're going to be ready for marriage. They're going to be ready to raise their own kid. They're going to be ready to get through any challenge, any difficulty. So we've got to keep this in mind. And this is why Satan hates it so much. Not only is he trying to destroy the church by destroying the family, He's trying to destroy our nation. This is how you undermine a nation. There are a lot of nations throughout history that could not be conquered from the outside. They were too powerful. Rome was like that. Greece was like that. Egypt was like that. There are a lot of nations that could not be conquered from the outside. They were too powerful. They had to crumble inside first. And in the 1920s, there was a Harvard sociologist that studied this. And he wrote several books. The first one was called Family and Society in 1935. Then he wrote Family and Civilization in 1947. And what these did was they studied these great civilizations, Rome, Greece, Egypt, Babylon, Samaria, that were almost too powerful to be conquered from the outside, and instead they crumbled from the inside. And so he studied it going, well, how did this happen, and was there a pattern to it? 
did these great nations fall and crumble? And if, and if they did, what was the pattern? And this is what he came up with. Is, is he said that there were seven patterns that led to their self-destruction. Now keep in mind, Ecclesiastes 1.9 tells us what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. It, and we think that the things that are happening in America are unique. It's actually, it's, it's actually an old strategy that Satan has used many times before. It's nothing new. But we're ignorant to it. And those that sometimes are influencing things are ignorant to it. Verse 10 of Ecclesiastes says, If there is a thing of which is said, see, this is new, it has already been done in the ages before us. Here are the seven patterns that he came up with. Number one pattern, he said, is that marriage loses its sacredness and divorce becomes normal and accepted. Number one thing. Remember, we're not fighting people. No, no one could orchestrate this. This is why we get all the conspiracy theories. You're like, well... You see these patterns, you know, like this has happened in every society. And so it must be the Illuminati. You know, it must be somebody that's like orchestrating the whole thing. Listen, there is somebody orchestrating it. It's Satan. And he uses the same tactics over and over again. So in all of these great civilizations, this was a commonality. Marriage loses its sacredness and divorce becomes normal and accepted. Do you know we're living in that right now? Divorce is normally accepted. I mean, you probably couldn't ask one person in this room that hasn't been affected by divorce in their family in one way or another. It's almost become normal and accepted. There was a time in our nation where it was not normal and accepted, but it is normal and accepted today. I will say on this uh, one issue that this one statistic about uh, the rate of divorce and marriages in the United States is going in the right direction. But there's a lot of debate as to why we're seeing that number drop. Because, first of all, less people are getting married to begin with, and more people are living together to begin with. So there's a lot of conflicting data. But there is some hope there because it does seem that those who are getting married, that they are experiencing less divorce currently in the nation. So I just, hey, let's keep praying for that. I'll take any good news. Amen. So that was number one. Number two. The traditional meaning of marriage is lost and alternative forms of marriage begin to rise up. Now, remember when this was written in the 30s and 40s. So they weren't discussing gay marriage at that time when he wrote this. This was a pattern that he saw in these other societies long before this began to develop in America. But he said, in these societies, the traditional meaning of marriage is lost and alternative forms of marriage begin to rise up. Why would this happen? Because marriage is not up for change or up for debate. Marriage has a definition that God set in the very beginning. And man doesn't get to come along and change it. And if man comes along and changes it, he's in rebellion against God. And by the way, God's blessing is on what he has established, not what you or I have established. Not what we randomly came up with with our perverted, rebellious minds. He's not under any obligation to bless that what he blesses is what he established so his blessing is on the marriage that he created and the family that he created number three the feminist movement abounds and women lose their inclination for childbearing 
So all of a sudden, childbearing begins to be looked at like it's an anchor, like it's a weight. It, it's somehow not the honor that it should be. It, some, it, it somehow doesn't carry the prestige that it should be. But now, having children is a shackle. It's a weight. It's an obstacle to my aspirations and my true calling and what I can really do in this life and all the things that I really can accomplish in this life. But God sees it opposite. He says there's no greater calling than bearing children. There's no greater calling than raising godly offspring. And if you have to sacrifice career in order to do this, he said that would be in the will of God. So the feminist movement abounds and women lose their inclination for childbearing. In 2016, the U.S. Census Bureau report showed that only 45% of Americans 18 to 34 believed that getting married and having children were an essential part of being an adult. So this is changing in our nation. There are more people, more married couples that are opting to not have children just really simply out of convenience. Opting, and, and look, if, if that's something that God leads you to do, I'm not saying that that's not an option for people, but it's the reasons why people do it. It's, it's not that it can't be done or that it, it should never be done, not that at all, but the re, for in many cases, the reasons why people are not, or some young people are choosing not to have children is out of convenience. We don't want the inconvenience. We like our life the way that it is, and You want to get real about what it, we want to serve self. We want to serve self and we don't want the burden of having to take care of another life, another human being. It's a tremendous sacrifice to have children, isn't it? (laughs) You got to lay a few things down. You may have to give a few things up. And in a selfish society that serves self and lives for pleasure, having children doesn't always fit into that. Number four, he said, is increased public disrespect for parents. All of these so far have to do with the family. So far. They don't all have to do with the family. But the first four, all, have, all seven don't have to do with the family. But the first four do increased public disrespect for parents. All you have to do is watch any cartoon that is created for children today And you will see the parents are complete idiots and the kids are complete geniuses. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say about that. But that, that that has been going on for decades. And you go, well, why are they doing that? Listen, they're not doing it. There's a spirit behind it. They're not trying to accomplish some great goal. Where in the world does that come from? It comes from a spirit that is directing things. Number five, he said there was an increase... In juvenile delinquency, promiscuity, and rebellion. We've seen that through the decades. Number six, the hostility of, and he puts in quotes, intellectuals, the hostility of intellectuals towards the traditional family soon spreads to the common people, and this seals the doom for the society. And when he explains it, what he, what he says is, the all of these crazy wacky, loony ideas about changing what marriage is, it begins with the higher-ups of the intellectual society, professors and colleges and things like that. And he says those loony ideas that don't work in real life, 
they end up making their way to the common people. And once the common person, the just average common person, accepts these nutty ideas, he said that ends up sealing the doom for the society. Last thing that he said happens is the normalization and acceptance of sexual perversion. So things that were once looked at as sin, things that were once looked at as immoral, things that were once looked at as sexually perverted, we begin to change those definitions. Go, no, that's not perverted. That's not fringe. No, that's normal. We've reached that point in this nation where it doesn't matter what you do. It's just looked at as, oh, that's a sexual preference. That's, a, that's an orientation. Oh, you were born that way. And we talked about this last week, how that's just going to continue to spread to other far out, outer edge things that are considered sexually perverse and immoral today. Give it a decade or two, they're not going to be considered sexually immoral anymore. Because the same logic that we have used to, to call and normalize other things are going to be used for these things as well. You can't, you can't say in one area that, oh, this person was born this way. And this is just a preference. And, oh, you know, I can't say whether that's right for you or wrong. And then, well, then what about this area over here that is, that is a little more extreme? Where's the standard? Where's the line? Well, we've, we've obliterated the line because we've gotten away from God's word as the standard. And once there is no standard, how do you call anything wrong? How do you call anything wrong? All you're left with is whatever society as a whole calls norm. But when that society is being corrupted little by little, year after year, the standard is being obliterated along with it. Which is why we always had to have the word of God as the standard, but we've lost that. Or we are in the process of losing that as a nation. So those seven things. I believe it is five out of the seven that have to do with marriage and family directly, and really all seven have to do at least indirectly with the family. So what are some of the lies that we see today in our nation? Well, one is that I'm seeing, especially among younger generation, is that marriage is not essential. This has been going on for a long time. Marriage is not the only way that we can be together. We can just live together instead. There's a lot less risk involved. In other words, we could kind of try it out without making any covenant. That is not God's way. And that is a rebellion against God and against the Word of God. That, that comes from a society that has lost uh, any ability to delay gratification. <laughs> we want it now, and this is the easy path, and so we're going to do that. And we'll think about the consequences later. So the lies that we're seeing in our culture today is marriage is not essential, almost like marriage is optional. In other words, if I want to be together with someone and have children, you know, we could get married, we could not get married. We could do it with or without marriage. Well, not according to God. And, and look, I'm not saying this to be like, oh, you're the worst person ever or we are the worst people ever as a society. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this. A lot of times it's done out of ignorance. And a lot of times it's done because we don't, we don't know how important it is and we don't know what the word of God has said on it. But listen, please understand, anytime you reject God's way 
in, in deference to your own way, there will be consequences for that. And it's not God punishing you. It's just a natural law of sowing and reaping. If you act, because God's laws are not arbitrary, they were there because this is the best way for human beings to live. And this is actually how it's going to work. So we're seeing that. Marriage is not essential. Here's another one that I'm seeing more and more. And it's not said exactly this way, but here's the underlying idea, is that parents are not essential. It, there, there used to be this understanding that children are children and they might think they're going to be a cowboy one day and a unicorn the next day and they need guidance. Okay, that used to be the common knowledge is that children are not adult beings, mature beings that are supposed to follow their own heart. No, they, they, they don't, they, sometimes they wake up with their pajamas on and want to wear them all day. You know, that's, and sometimes they, they wish they were a puppy and they have, they, they don't, they're not mature. They're not ready to make major decisions, but I hear that a lot more and more in popular thinking is, well, you know, we just let them choose their own path. That's about the most foolish thing I ever heard in my life. Kids are not ready to choose their own path. That's why God gave them parents. That's not a biblical concept. That's not a biblical concept that children would just follow their own heart or choose their own way. Well, here's what the Bible says about the heart of a child. Proverbs 22, 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him or her. And the rod of discipline, remember, the rod of discipline is a shepherd's staff. Doesn't mean, uh, it doesn't refer exclusively to spanking, even though that is definitely part of it. But the rod of discipline is like a shepherd's staff. And when we think of the rod of discipline, sometimes we think of just, you know, oh, that means they need to be spanked. Well, they probably do need to be spanked. But the rod of discipline, that's not all it is. The rod of discipline is a shepherd's staff. I can promise you the loving shepherd's not going around just cracking sheep over the head, you know, with the, with the rod every time they get out of line. No, it's to guide. It's to push. Oh, you're out of line here. It's to guide you back in. You're getting too far away. A little hook around the neck, pull you back in. Now, there might be a time for the, you know, a little more aggressive approach every now and then. That's fine. But that's not exclusively what this means. It's talking about having a shepherd that guides when you get out of line. I put some guardrails. I put some boundaries. Look, I, ha I, I have sheep at my house. We got a little herd flock of sheep at my house. And number one thing you need is fencing. You need boundaries to say, this is where you live. You can go this far and no further. And if you get out of here, there's going to be consequences. How many know children need the same thing? They're not to be left to their own, their own heart and their own wiles and their own little crazy ways of thinking. There's no telling what they'll come up with. You know, how many of you, after watching Mary Poppins, you thought about getting an umbrella and jumping off the roof? <laughs> and some, some, of you saw, some of you saw your brother or sister do it, and you still tried it anyway. I mean, that, you need some help. That's why we need parents. You know, I remember one time... Me and my cousin, we thought it was going to be a good, good, good idea to run away. We had our little bikes, you know, packed up our backpacks with some peanut butter jelly sandwiches. We lived in Forest Hill, Louisiana. I don't know what happened. Somebody told us we couldn't do something, you know, probably couldn't, told us we couldn't stay the night at each other. Well, we're just going to run away then. So we got on our bikes and packed up our backpacks, little peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and we were going to Houston. 
We, both, we had an aunt over in Houston. We said, we like our aunt. She's nice. We're going to go live with her. I think we got about 300 yards from the house. We're like, this isn't a good idea. Well, let's just turn around. We'll, it'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, that's kids, okay? Kids need parents. Listen, even if you have children that are 16, 17, 18, 19, in their early 20s, it changes, but they need you. They need your voice. They need your wisdom. They need your warning. I know they get to a certain point where they don't have to listen. That doesn't mean you stop speaking. Now, I'm not talking about being out of order with it. I'm not talking about speaking when you shouldn't. But that voice of wisdom and experience is invaluable. It's invaluable to your children. I remember when I was 18 years old, I was serving God. I was already a youth pastor in high school. I was getting up praying every day. I was about as godly as a teenager as you're going to find. But I still needed guidance from my parents. I remember I was making a crucial decision about whether to go to college or whether or not, where to go to college or not. And it was the voice of my parents that helped me make that decision. And I look back on it, and it was the right decision, and it would have been the wrong decision to do what I wanted to do, but I needed their input. So parents are essential. No matter what this culture tells you, Satan knows that, and it's why he tries to divide and separate. Also, remember this. No one will ever care or fight for your children like you will. No school, no government. I don't care what rules are made. I don't care what policies are made. They are not the parents. You are. And no person will ever care or fight for your children like you are. In other words, if you don't do it, then who will? There's no one left. There's no one left. And you could say, well, they've got this person or this person that loves them. Doesn't matter. No one will ever do it like their parents will. Their parents have that anointing, that grace from God to do it. True godly families will be a safety and refuge for the next generation. It will be the only thing that preserves them for the, from the onslaught. As we see this nation changing, getting darker, more sinful, more immoral, the only thing that will preserve your children from being infected by that disease is the family unit. The boundaries you put up. The things you turn off on the television. The things that you get out of your house and say, that will not come into my house. The friendships and the relationships that you battle over and cut off. That will be the only thing a godly family with godly parents doing their job, that's the only thing that will preserve children in these generations that are coming up. That will become increasingly more important. You know why? Because in decades past, and I mean several decades past, it seemed like the whole community was on the same page as far as how to work together to raise children. That is, that is long gone. As a matter of fact, in, to a degree, the community has become an enemy of that because of the, the, the sinful approach and ideology and thinking that has infected much of society. So families have become even more important because you don't have what we used to have. And even in Alexandria and Louisiana, it's probably not where the rest of the world is or the rest of the nation is. But in other parts of the nation... 
you can't count on the community to instill godly values into your children. So the family is becoming even more important than that. Amen. So much more we could cover here. We're kind of running out of time this morning. Uh, I'll just say a couple more things here. In many cases, the way that we have approached the family has not pivoted. It has not changed and we're behind the eight ball. In other words, we, we're, we're kind of decades, in some cases, decades behind adjustments and changes that we should have made. Because changes are happening so fast. So, you, you know, what was it? 2000, I'm probably off on the year, but like between 2006, 2008, somewhere in there that the smartphone came out, the iPhone came out. Look, that wasn't that long ago. But look how things have just changed so fast. I remember in my house... I grew up in a home, and I'm not that old. I grew up in a home. We didn't even have internet. We got AOL when I was like a senior in high school. It was the worst thing ever because you, you had to just, you'd, be, you'd wait 10 minutes to get online, and then your mom would make a phone call and kick you off, and <laughs> you had to start all over. What was the point anyway? So you could read some text. I mean, there were no pictures. There was no, anyway, that was just, what, 20 years ago? I mean, it just changed so fast, and what can happen with that is a lot of times parents think, oh, well, we all got into trouble when we were kids. And, oh, well, we all did stuff like that when we were kids. Yeah, but you, you weren't raised in the same generation your kids are being raised in. There, there are things that your children have access to on their smartphone and on the Internet that will, will scar them permanently if they encounter it. Because there are, there are levels of depravity and sinfulness that you cannot unsee, you cannot unhear. And they're walking around with it, in many cases, in their, in their pocket. I'm not going to get on that this morning. I know y'all love it when I get off on that. But just, if you're going to do your job as a parent, you got to know that. you got to know that, and you got to pivot. You can't parent the way, and I don't care if everybody you know does it or has it. You're not their parent. You're your kid's parent. And so you may have to step in and go, I know everybody's doing it, but we're doing it different because I got a brain in my head. And we're doing it different because I can see what this is doing and what it's leading to. You can't be afraid to do that. That's why I say we have to pivot as parents and realize that we may not be able to parent our children the way we were parented. It might have to, we might need a new strategy for 2023. 